imagine the world was ending in five minutes and you could make one phone call. Who would you call and what would you tell them and what are you waiting for? Because you can make that phone call right now. You don't have to wait for the world to end. So express appreciation and don't be afraid to be your higher self. Be that lion that breaks out of the cage of your conditioning. What's the most fantastic life you can envision for yourself? And lead it. We're all just the stars of our own movies and the director and the script writer and the costume designer. It's all a movie, so make it a fantastic movie. Be a superstar. Welcome to A Curious Yogi Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby, here to illuminate your practice as we discover what it means to walk the yogi's path. Together with wise friends and awakening teachers, we uncover the answers to our greatest questions. I'm so delighted you're here. Now let's get curious. All right, all right. Welcome back to A Curious Yogi. I'm so excited to introduce you to friend, yogi, and remarkable person, Jesse Sterling, a broadcast executive, television host, journalist, writer, meditation teacher, and family man. Jesse has been hosting the show Meetings with Remarkable People on Canada's Superstation NTV for more than 20 years. His former guests include Matt Damon, Eckhart Tolle, Deepak Chopra, just to name a few. He's also the senior editor of Nobleman Magazine and teaches meditation in his spare time. Husband, father, dashound lover, today Jesse and I dig into the purpose of life and how to live it, how to meditate, and where folks might be misled, free will versus destiny, the householder yogi, and so, so much more entertainment for the heart right here. Enjoy. So welcome, Jesse, to A Curious Yogi Podcast. I'm so, so excited and honored and delighted to have your presence here with me on the show this afternoon. I have been looking forward to this for a long time. It's going to be great. Yeah, it's nice to have these connections and and good friends that are really inspired and delighted in life with oneness and meditation and living a more spiritually evolved life and I've always felt that of you and appreciated that about you so I'm excited to hear a little bit of your story and ask you some deeper questions about your perspective on life and where you are right now and how the listeners can get inspired by your story. Oh very cool. It's such an exciting time where growing up my parents were meditators and yogis and it was kind of a weird thing. It was an outcast thing. It was something that you got made fun of at school. My parents were vegetarian, hippie, yogi meditators. And now yoga is cool. Meditation is mainstream. So there's some risks and downsides of that. But generally, it's a very cool thing. Definitely. Yeah. And it is so true now. It's in, in one way, it's amazing how it is mainstream and more normal for people to be experiencing mindfulness and meditation as a way to navigate the wave waking state which can be so chaotic and crazy and also there's a lot of you know stuff to sift through for those people that are seeking and searching which is why i'm so interested about the journey anybody can take to come to a spiritual path so i'm wondering what it was like 
for you growing up spiritual you know you had I know your grandfather was a big influence in your life I even read an article where he was described as mystical and like how that shaped you now as an adult as a father as a husband to have that kind of upbringing which like you said it wasn't very normal no so I had my fifth and seventh birthdays on an ashram in the high Himalayas where we are right now yeah. in Kulu Valley in India and also in the bigger picture a family where everything was spiritual there wasn't this divide between here's my work life here's my friends life here's my social life and then once a week we go to church or something everything had a spiritual motivation and underpinning behind it so a lot of people when they talk about my grandfather Jeff Sterling who definitely was a dude. He's in the Broadcasting Hall of Fame. He invented 24-hour television. He was big buddies with John Lennon for several years, the whole trip. He was a spiritual seeker. And I think, to be honest, it's kind of silly, but the Beatles had an Indian guru. So I wanted, he wanted an Indian guru, right? And he, he had accomplished everything the world had told him to accomplish. He had a big family. He had made it. He's in the communications business. Yet he still felt like he didn't know any of the answers. None of his desires were satisfied inside. He wanted more, more, more. That is what motivated his journey to India, his spiritual quest, and where I landed today, growing up in this spiritual family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting because a lot of people in the world are seeking a sense of satisfaction, which is often equated with this measure of success. And then what a perfect example of someone that reaches a level of success and, and just reveals and shows that actually the true desire in a human being is for freedom. And freedom doesn't lie on that level, which is, I think, a beautiful you know, people come to India even now, what, 40, 50, 60 years later after the Beatles came and after your grandfather came and still there's that that desire which is kind of timeless in the human being. Mm. And I'm wondering, for you as someone now, you live in California, you have a young daughter, what does that world look like? Is it the same as when you grew up? Like, it's spirituality is seeped in your family now or... You know, what is that like? Well, the first part of your question, I'm reminding a quote from Swamiji, who was my grandfather's teacher and a man of great wisdom, a sage, a guru, teacher of meditation and oneness. His legacy was meditation. And he met with many rich men. And his famous quote to the rich men, the empire builders, was, I have something that you'll never have enough. So that's the short answer of, human desire and how you can have enough is never going to happen on a human level. Our nervous system is built to just always want more, more, more endless desires. As I'm living there in California with my wife and daughter and job, my brain is always beating me up every day. You could be a better dad, you could be a better husband, you could do better at your job. What is perfect and whole in unborn, unchanging, undying is that timeless divine space which is pure, free, forever, that can be accessed when we close our mind. How I operate that world of things and forms in that fast-paced media environment where I make my career, again, I'll use the words of Swamiji, who painted a picture, this beautiful analogy of a lotus flower. 
and the lotus flower is right there on the top of the water. Now they have roots that go deep within underneath the water. And he always told me, that's you, Jesse. You are that lotus flower who is in the world, but not of the world. Meaning I can be a family man, I can be a householder, I can be an entrepreneur, host a TV show, write for a magazine, do all these fun things, but that doesn't mean I need to be totally involved, attached, have my mood affected by success or defeat. And the big picture is the whole history of the world is one of gain, loss, up, down, happy, sad, victory, defeat, attraction, uh, aversion, love, hate. It's never going to end. You're never going to find peace, justice, and oneness, and evenness in this world, in our human forms. That's not what it's about. That's why I love meditation so much. It's like taking a break from this crazy merry-go-round that we're all on of being human beings and giving our little nervous systems a break and our minds, which are beautiful minds, which work so hard for us all day. And uh, I can't believe everyone doesn't meditate because it's free, you can do it anywhere, and you don't have to change anything else in your life. You just add meditation. Mm, I love that, just add meditation. And when I'm thinking of the curious yogis that are listening and the seekers that are listening, it's such a comforting thing to hear that even someone that's been meditating since they were five years old, like that you still have to face your mind, which just functions the way minds do. Like with, is this, am I, do I need to be a better father or better with my show or this or that? It's just like the way the mind works and what a simple gift meditation is to get a break from that to actually dip into that true nature that you're speaking of and I want to ask you about your meditation the way that you've learned it the way you've lived it the way you've taught it which Swamiji you know like you said his legacy is meditation but it's not I would say a regular meditation you know, we live in a world where there's now so many different types of meditation right. and yoga. It's like such a huge industry now. And, and the brilliance of Swamiji's meditation, it's so unique and brilliant. And I'm wondering if you could speak about that a little bit, how it differentiates from the other ways of meditating. Well, you're right. And at the very beginning of your podcast, I talked about maybe a little downside to stuff going mainstream in terms of yoga and meditation. It is the commercialization of it and that hence the inevitable division of different brands of yoga and meditation as if they're brands of sneakers or something like that yeah. and living in LA in Beverly Hills when people find out I'm a meditator their first question is always what kind of meditation and I never really know how to answer that question because it's just been such an intrinsic part of my life since I was four years old I will say this without judgment, but I think a lot of meditation teachers in the West try to perhaps make it a little more complicated than it is mm. so that they can retain their students week after week after week. They'll leak out tiny morsels of wisdom here and there. Um, our teacher gave three instructions how to meditate and basically within a minute you knew how to meditate. It wasn't a multi-week multi-month experience and it quite simply was these three rules you sit comfortably you close the eyes and you watch the space or you feel the space 
Now there's a little more detail on each one. You sit comfortably. Uh, one time I thought it was really cute. He said, if you're hot, you can sit with your hands up. If you're cold, you sit with your hands down. Nice. But there's some teachers that go on for weeks and weeks and weeks about the angle to hold your pinky finger and this pose or this, you know, and they're all nice. They all come from thousands of years of experiences and practices, but largely irrelevant because what you're doing when you're meditating is leaving the body, leaving the field of human consciousness, leaving the mind. So we're sitting comfortably. It's great to do. You can do it, and sometimes if you're pressed for time, where do you meditate? How can I meditate? In your bed. You know, you're, you're, usually people don't bug you the first 10, 15 minutes of getting up. He even said once, sneak into the bathroom. People won't pound on the bathroom door when you're in there. <laughs> yeah. You can grab 10, 15 minutes. Maybe you get to an appointment early in your car. You can turn your car off and sit right there. So you're sitting comfortably, you're closing the eyes, your mind will want to make a big show all the time. Our beautiful minds want stimulus, they want to worry about things. We're descendant from cave people where there was all sorts of dangers around us. So we have these minds that are trained to notice danger and to worry about stuff. We live in great times where a mountain lion isn't going to come over the hill and eat us. <laughs> so we don't have to be worrying all the time. So that's the challenge of our mind will say, you don't need to close your eyes. There, do it right after you get this glass of water. You'll meditate right after you check a few emails and you say, no, no, beautiful mind. You take a little break right now. I'm going to close my eyes. At least I have the power to keep my eyes closed for a little bit. And... You don't have to meditate for an hour, two hours. You don't need to go to a cave in the Himalayas. You don't have to have a perfect garden of quietude around you. You can meditate anywhere that you can sit comfortably and close your eyes. And then the last part, which is the most fun part, I think, is you just watch. And when you sit there with eyes closed, maybe you've taken a few deep breaths and your mind starts to cool down, the thoughts come less and less frequently. Of course, the more practice you get, like any practice, like any exercise, you're gonna sink deeper into meditation quicker, but you should never force it. It should be super pleasurable, it should be a fun experience, you shouldn't beat yourself up about it. Maybe a minute feels good for you. Maybe it's two or three minutes, great. Seven minutes is wonderful. Uh, 20 minutes, you're doing fantastic, but Whatever time frame is, it should suit you. And if you just do a little bit in the morning and you do a little bit at night, your whole life is going to change. Beautiful. When you were speaking, like what kept coming to my mind was freedom and, and how this way of meditating, even being, is all about freedom and recognizing yourself as that own free being. And then when you said about, you know, what gets kind of revealed to you in this way of being in a meditative state wherever you are whether you're in the bathroom or whether you're on a busy road to know that that freedom is yourself then what can kind of get inspired up from inside of you so in your life experience as your however many years on this planet being a meditator being surrounded by folks who are spiritually inspired and expanding, what have you come to recognize or realize is the purpose of this whole incarnation? I get some of the listeners have writing questions and one listener, she asked, what is the purpose of my life? Beautiful. 
And I think it's such a blown question that we actually all have inside of us. Mm. Well, I would just salute that one listener who wrote in and said, what is the purpose of life? Because it is the rarest person who pauses to ask that question. Maybe one in a thousand, maybe one in 10,000, maybe one in a hundred thousand actually breaks free from the social conditioning we get right from birth. A baby is born in a pure state of oneness and they're told a name, a name, a name. So the first time of a little bit of division, maybe it's six months, they start to realize, I am this name, that's mommy, that's daddy. They somehow have intuitive, intrinsic knowledge of how to get their food and how to do the basic stuff. But before we layer conditions on top of this baby of how to be a person, how to be a human being, they're just totally free. They're just total oneness. So, and this is not the fault of anybody. The, our mom and dads learn from their mom and dads, learn from their mom and dads. It's just called being a human being. So the very rare person will be that lion that breaks free from that cage and says, I don't like this conditioning. I don't feel peaceful all the time. I don't know any of the answers. I've done everything I was told to do. I went to school, I have a job, I have a family, I'm making money. There has to be something more to life than eating, than drinking, than sleeping, than obeying the laws of the land. So what is it? What is the higher purpose? And there's probably many different ways to articulate this answer. My understanding, I would call it taking time every day to connect with the divine, making the universe your best friend. Some people don't like the word God, but to me God is just interchangeable with the universe taking time every day to make God your best friend. And as you do this practice of meditation, as you take time to commune with the divine, to bow down to this life force that's within us, the same light reflecting your eyes right now is the same eyes reflecting my light. Whether you're a billionaire or whether you're begging on the street, we have the exact same light shining through our eyes. And the purpose of being born is to realize that there's more potential power at our disposal than just being on the human level. And that sounds a little complicated. What do I mean by that? It means that most people can get to a level where they know, I am not this body. Okay, I can tell arm go in, arm go out, head look up, head look down. Body is not in charge. 99% of people will say, okay, it's my mind. My mind is the one running the show and giving the electrical impulses to my body to tell it what to do. But, but I challenge your listeners, what is that side of you that knows your thinking, that can discern the discernment power? Was that a helpful thought? Was that a negative thought? Was that a wrong thought? Was that a positive emotion? Was that a negative emotion? And the more time you spend in a kind of detached state of meditation, you become the watcher. The watcher not only of the senses and of the body, but of the emotions, of the thoughts. You can call it knower, witness self, higher consciousness, God consciousness. You become the knower of your actions, of your thoughts, and of your emotions, and hence, you are not a slave to your negative thinking. You're not controlled by the up and down of every emotion. And quite, quite the opposite of that, you have your mind in your own hand. You are the mastermind. 
And to close the answer, I've always loved the analogy of the chariot. And your senses and your thoughts are the horses running out front. And you, your consciousness is the pilot of that chariot. Are you going to let your horses run wild and run all over the place and wreck your chariot and run off a cliff? Or are you going to pull those reins in, control your thinking, control your emotions, and be the captain of your own soul? We all can be the masters of our own fate and the captains of our soul. So that's the purpose of life as I see it. Nice. Great answer. Self-realization, yeah. man. Enlightenment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting when you're you know, talking about the chariot analogy because I love that as well. And because speaking from someone who has been pulled from my, as from my senses for a big part of my life because I didn't grow up with a spiritual family. So that conditioning that you're talking about you kind of had the leg up where your family was reminding you, your guru was reminding you from the time you were so little, you are pure free forever. I'm sure you're reminding your young daughter of that too, that she's the pure space. And she was in my wife's tummy. Om, amaram, amaram. Yeah, beautiful incarnation for her. She must have done a lot of work to get born <laughs> with a yogi dad. Yeah. Um, but I will say, sorry to interrupt, but I, I did want to say one thing while it was on my mind is there were advantages to being born into this situation, like being vegetarian and stuff that is just a learned behavior. But I think every child has to go through a phase where they rebel against their parents. Mm -hmm. And my big act of rebellion was, I think I was kind of an atheist in junior high. I just thought, oh, all this spiritual stuff. And for me, it got grouped in with meditation and pyramid power and UFOs and Atlantis and Stone Age. Ah. It's all too much. I just want to be a little nerdy student, athlete kid. And, you know, I don't want to be a hippie like my parents. So I kind of turned away for several years from not only meditation and yoga, any kind of spirituality. And my gift in life is I've been given so many direct experiences. I'm deciding how many I want to share with your viewers, your listeners or not. But I mean, I saw a ghost when I was a teenager. And that was this huge turning point moment in life where I began to realize, oh, my conclusion that none of this is true and nothing spiritual exists and I don't like any of it and it's all just the world of things and forms for me, then how come I just saw a ghost and what does that mean? So at least ghosts have to exist and at least some spirits have to exist and then had some trippy dreams later in life and enough direct experience happenings occurred within my incarnation that it brought me right back to the path and I was fortunate enough to spend three days back with Swamiji, my teacher, when I was 21 and just completely reconnected me and three weeks when I was 29 and then that led to years and years of my life in my 40s and one lesson through all that hardship and ups and downs which I can convey is that meditation is such a better steering wheel for your life rather than a spare tire, right? Nice. If you can use it as a daily practice to keep your nervous system cooled out mm -hmm. and to keep your consciousness higher thinking rather than waiting until you kind of get into that, you know, on a car you get into the red zone and the engine's going to blow and it's mm -hmm. dangerous. Oh, now I got to meditate. I'm super stressed out. That works, but it's much more fun if you use it as a daily practice. Right, to cultivate that resilience to then deal with the world and the nervous system and all the ups and downs would just mean being a human being in the waking state. 
But I'm glad that you touched on that point about you coming into this path with on your own journey and with your own self-inquiry, even though you had the, the as if leg up with the mm-hmm. parents and your guru. Because when I think of a lot of listeners, they don't have the chance to come to India to find a guru or to have anybody that reveals the knowledge that you're talking about in the meditative state and for some people you know when people say i can't meditate i have too many thoughts it's like good you have thoughts it means you're alive (laughs) i want to know what you think about how much of the path is to be taught and how much is to be inspired from within uh, I love what you said. I gotta, I gotta expand on this first about I'm having thoughts. I can't do meditation because there's so many misconceptions out there about meditation. My wife, who is a highly intelligent person, did all sorts of research on it, and her conclusion when she arrived in Kuwait, I understand meditation now. It's kind of like you go into a trance state and it's close to hypnosis. And I'm like, no, like what? <laughs> <laughs> and she, I thought you had to do a lot of yoga beforehand and physical asanas. And so, I mean, the message can get so mixed and so confused just from the simple sit comfortably, close your eyes and, and feel the space, right? What was the other question? In your experience, how much of the spiritual path comes from within versus someone a teacher, inspiration, community, giving the knowledge. To. It's it's such an awesome question. And I mean, let's get real. That is the age old question of philosophy is free will versus destiny. Right. How much can we script our own lives? How much is predestined for us? I've always loved the quote from Plato, which was you sow a thought, you reap an action, you sow an action, you reap a habit, you sow a habit, You reap character, you sow character, you reap destiny. So by that means we can control our own destiny, getting right down to a thought level and being the master of our own thinking. But doesn't it feel a lot of times in life like things are out of your control? And it's important to have plans. It's important to have goals, not to be just like a rag doll going through life, getting tossed about by the currents of fate. But a lot of times I think I've got a very right on plan And I will try so hard to achieve it. And it just feels like I'm swimming upstream for 10 years. And you just take one little step to the right or the left. And suddenly it's like, oh, this is what I should have been doing. And a current of fate takes you off. And I've heard the the picture painted the analogy of like a fly buzzing against a window. No matter how much they buzz against that window, they're not going to buzz hard enough to fly through it. But if they just go a tiny bit around it, they're free. So does life work like that sometimes? I don't know. Is it like you're trying something, you feel like this is your fate, you feel like this is your destiny, it's not working out, you just shift your pivot, you pivot a different way and you focus your attention in a different direction and suddenly life takes you that way. It's certainly the good grace in my life to have gotten such an incredible set of teachers. Obviously not only my guru, here in India, but my dad, who was the first person to discover this guru, and my grandfather, who funded the whole operation, and as, as Swamiji so nicely said, he got the whole ball rolling by the money, and then he took the ball and scored it in the goal. <laughs> <laughs> nice, I haven't heard that. Yeah, but I think that everyone can have the power to control mm-hmm. their own willpower to meditate two, three, four, five times a day for a few minutes at a time. Mm -hmm. The good luck and the good fortune of getting a tremendous teacher in your life, I don't know, I can't speak to that. It all Mm -hmm. seems to be happening on a higher 
cosmic level than my human brain can understand. And, and I also, another thought came to me because I've spent years contemplating the meaning of life. Like, why is it that we would be born in a human body and all of this seems so real and yet the scriptures tell us it's illusory and the wisest teachers tell us again and again that our senses are lying to us. This is all illusory. The whole point of being born is to realize we're actually not the body. We're so much more. We're a soul. We're pure, free forever. We're unborn, unchanging, undying. Then why would we forget that? Then why would we have these bodies to forget it? And one idea I had was, well, maybe it's the fun of remembering it. It's like having a million piece puzzle solved. What's the fun of just keeping it solved for a thousand years? The fun is undoing the puzzle and putting it back together. Undo, putting back together. Maybe it's the reason is beyond our human understanding. It would be like me trying to tell that same fly, go around the window. It, it doesn't have the mind to understand. Or me trying to talk philosophy with a mouse. It just, our little human brains yeah. can't understand why we've incarnated into this 3D holographic reality bound by space and time. I don't know. We can go to a dream world, which seems very similar. We have subject-object relations, situations, problems, yet we're not bound by space and time. Our mind's creating that whole world. And if you've ever had a lucid dream, then it gets even trippier. You've got your waking state mind within the dream world. I don't know why we're born the way we are, but I do know the purpose of it all is self-realization. And when you have that self-realization, it's making everyone around you happier. It's being of service to people around you and it's community give back. It's you know, how much do you need for yourself really? You have some good food, you keep your family healthy and safe, you keep your friends entertained, you go sightseeing, you relax and enjoy, yeah. but the higher purpose is giving back to the community, which you do so beautifully. Thank you. I will come back to that, but I when you you said so many good things there. <laughs> Before you were talking about discernment and when you're talking about you don't you don't know there's this element of mystery that is a part of this human experience and we can never really know what the with the intellect the mind the ego wants to but so much of the beauty of this whole life that we live is sort of embracing the unknown and the mystery like we'll never get it and that's okay and yet we still take steps towards self-realization because you so beautifully put that and you reminded me of something Swamiji said that put a blank page in the <laughs> in the story of your life and see what God writes for you you know it's kind of like the fly analogy like we have to leave some space mm -hmm. for the mystery of life to unfold or God to give us or whatever language we put on it so mm. it's so interesting you know that that there is this part that we'll never get and yet the world that we live in the society that we live in especially in the west it's so focused on or celebrated on like knowing tangible like if i can feel it if i can touch it then it's fact it's real and as we sit in meditation like you also so beautifully described there's this sense of knowing that which we cannot see you know when you're talking about the lucid dream and everything and i just think it's so inspiring and exciting to meet with other friends like that where we can 
talk about the mystery of life and the unknown that we can't see the illusory element and yet it's it's inspiring but it's also kind of like the question never gets answered no of course not I, even on the level of things and forms in comparison to the knowable we know nothing mm -hmm. I was so fortunate I took a boat around the world when I was 21 and went to 10 countries in a hundred days and I was feeling like a very educated senior in university who'd studied a lot and then you suddenly realize there's so many cultures there's so many books there's so many languages and traditions. If I spent my whole life studying all this, I could barely scratch the surface. And that's just the tangible world that the human mind can understand. So who knows what mysteries exist? Um, scientists just now are kind of confirming that there are different dimensions. So all this ancient talk about spiritual beings or different dimensional beings like probably true yeah. we just can't perceive them with our nervous system yeah. but I one of my favorite questions I ever asked Swamiji I said you know do aliens exist and do ghosts exist he said if they do they really don't care anything about Jesse Sterling <laughs> <laughs> nice. uh, so it freed me from the whole quest yeah. to discover that yeah <laughs> well you kind of sound like you have this you kind of, you know, the name of the podcast is A Curious Yogi. I didn't know that story about you traveling around in a boat, but you, there's a sense of curiosity within you that's kind of inherent to who you are. And I want to talk a little bit about your show, Meetings with Remarkable People. It's been on air. I think you said this is the 20th season. Yeah, which 21 is, years. I never thought I'd be on TV even, yeah, much less for 21 years. Which, congratulations. It's such a beautiful achievement if we were looking at it in that way but also such an interesting living laboratory for you to explore the human mind and not only just any human mind but remarkable human minds how has the show shaped your worldview or who wouldn't want to be on a show called meetings with remarkable person <laughs> I had a funny comedian on my show once that said like can be entertaining for 22 minutes and I'll do your show for free remarkable <laughs> so that basically defines how I get my guests and a lot of times people will say to me like how come you haven't got Tom Cruise or you know insert famous person here uh, whomever the most famous people Paul McCartney so many people want money to appear on the show it really shocks me and in some I remember there was a pretty big celebrity that was gonna do it for 500 bucks and I thought this is a real turning point in my show's history and I'm going to decide not to pay that money because it just, to me, it changes the whole vibration of the conversation and it stops being a true journalism show at that point. It's more of like a paid entertainment show. But usually it's any person who will be fascinating to me and I can learn from. So it started with authors, actors, politicians, athletes, and really over the decades, it's become more and more the spiritual show spiritual seekers. I've devoted whole seasons to mental wellness and removing the stigma from any kind of mental illness and compassion. And last season, it was all about young people and entrepreneurs. And yeah, I just, every person is a book you can learn from. So each half hour conversation I have is a whole new world opening up. And so uh, just like in comparison to the knowable, I know nothing. I'll never get through my list of everyone that I hope appears on the show one day. But the most fantastic things that have happened through the show is 
I had a real good connection with Deepak Chopra and ended up being his opening speaker for like a whole tour and ditto Eckhart Tolle. And so it almost went from a business relationship to a friend relationship. And there I am doing a guided meditation for 17,000 people in a stadium in Oregon. And just, I have these moments in life where I go, wow, I just thought I was kind of going to be a business guy and maybe do this cute little broadcasting show. And here I am teaching meditation and sharing this great wisdom that I've been able to collect over the years. And, and it works. I know as someone whose nervous system maybe tends towards anxiety or feeling down that this meditation stuff really works. Mm -hmm. I'm living proof. Yeah. That's kind of, you're also kind of living proof of how, you couldn't plan it. There's so much of life that you can't yeah. script. You thought you were going to be a businessman. You thought this, you thought this, and suddenly you're teaching meditation and connecting with these spiritual leaders that you, you can't plan that. It's, it's karmically written. Uh, yeah, so we're getting back to the free will versus destiny, but my what I thought was my worst year of my life where like, I had the big hill on the house and the five cars and the beautiful wife and it all came crashing down in 2009, including like my health and my dog dying. It was like straight out of a movie. Ended up being the best thing that ever could have happened to me because without that brokenness, I wouldn't have sought answers, reconnected with Kulu, with Swamiji, with meditation, became the centerpiece of my life and such a better life got built. It wasn't about stacking the most cash or having the biggest parties, it became how even and steady and blissful can I be and not the kind of love and bliss that's I love you if, I love you when, or a happiness that goes up and down. It's more of that divine cosmic consciousness bliss that's unborn, unchanging, undying, pure, free forever. And that, yeah, that comes through meditation. That's the only thing I've been able to find. Like, I like prayer. Prayers talking to God and it's it's a way talking to the universe it's almost a way of organizing your thoughts and setting goals and getting stuff articulated and if you believe in the power of attraction there's you're putting out vibrations and it's better than a thought it's better even than writing it down you're speaking it into existence but I'd ra much rather listen to God than talk to God so that's what meditation mm -hmm. is you're just taking a few moments in silence to say what's What's my core being telling me right now? Mm. What's my knower telling me? Mm. I love I love that point of inquiry, of asking ourselves a question so that the answer can be revealed, that answered state, which for me also has been such a powerful practice in my meditation. So I want to just go back a little bit to the thread. Maybe not even just guests you've had on the show, but experiences you've had in your life as you've moved through and met so many people and lived in so many different experiences and you're you were not spiritual for a while then you were back and then you have this central hub which is your guru your meditation practice and life as it sounds like you're expressing so beautifully spins around that central point which is your sadhana which mm -hmm. is your your connection to guru to that meditation seed and knower have you seen the, a thread of similarities through all of these experiences and people and seekers and, and teachers that you've come across? Mm, that, what a great question. I, in terms of my own personal practice, I would say a theme has been everything is changing and 
For some people, it's even like running. They just like the steadiness of controlling a run. For some people, it's lifting weights. For me, it's been this the steadiness of meditation that my mood can be up or down or all over the place. You can always tune into that space. The, the biggest wisdom that I've gotten from my favorite interviews, it, I mean, it's it sounds a little cliche, but it's always that it comes from within. It's like anyone that's tried to seek their contentment from the outside world, the world has never been a place of justice, of fairness, of peace. It's always got to come from within. And I really, uh, Eckhart Tolle is probably my favorite interview I've ever done, just because it's so similar to what Swamiji teaches, and his whole thing is the power of now. But it's quite helpful uh, just on a day-to-day moment in life that you realize the universe tends to unfold as it should. And anytime you're getting worried or agitated about what's happening, it's because you're applying your own personal preference over the top of that moment as if you know better than the universe about how it's supposed to happen. And even bad things that happen to you, like I broke my ankle a couple weeks ago and most people could conclude, oh, poor me. What a horrible experience. I usually come to India and a big part of it is hiking and I like to be so active here and I'm not going to get to do that. Or you can conclude, wow, what an opportunity for stillness. Instead of being this like social butterfly who's going all over the place and using all these energies on breakfast, lunches and dinners, what if I sat in stillness and really meditated for several hours a day? So. Yeah, that would be probably the best theme of learning from all my guests is that if you can remove your small mind, your personal preferences from the situation, life is for you. Life's not something that happens to you. Life is for you where it's kind of like you're, you're going to learn. You're going to learn the easy way or the hard way and just relax and enjoy. Mm. Certainly have goals, certainly have dreams, certainly have wishes. But sometimes your own dreams and wishes are are incorrect and you just got to submit and bow down to life and say, thank you for not giving me that wish. This is a much better happening right now. Yeah, I love that point about peace coming from within and happiness and contentment and all those things because if we're seeking it in the external, like you said, like the world is not going to give us justness and peaceness and fairness and oneness because the world by nature is duality. It's me and you sitting here. It's this or that. It's broken ankle or healed ankle. So that's such a beautiful part, I think, of living and sharing this knowledge from a day-to-day basis. If we are exuding it from within, if we are taking the time each day to have our dip in that, mm. in that, and that putting our, like your lotus flower analogy, putting our feet into the lotus and really rooting in that, then we can begin to live it and share it with everyone that we meet. So instead of meeting people and they're expecting things to turn a certain way, it's kind of like we can all start to live naturally more harmoniously. And that's kind of, in my view, where you know, world peace or just any of a sense of a better world starts with, like from us. I know it's a cliche, but maybe it needs to be shared more. Oh, absolutely. I think that it's a great relief to realize the world, (laughs) there's another great Swamiji quote, the world has been going from bad to worse for millions of years. So if, (laughs) if you're looking to get that, you save the world or get satisfaction, you really can only control yourself. 
And uh, I have great relationship advice. You were talking about harmonious relations with other people. The most beautiful advice I've gotten is that, let's be real, you're never going to fully understand another person's mind. We don't even understand our own minds. Like we're a million different people on every single day. You wake up, we have all these funny moods, we have ups and downs. Our mind is always this turning wheel and another person's mind's a turning wheel. But if both wheels have the axis in peace, mm -hmm. if you both are meditators, if you both have a connection to the divine, at least there'll be a kind of nice connection between your two spinning wheels and that chariot is gonna go in the same direction. There'll still be bumps, like you don't start start meditating and no problems happen in life, right? Mm -hmm. You just can deal with those problems a little easier, mm -hmm. a little less bumpy. And I think that is another fantastic benefit of meditation is that you can take a pause. Normally we're such reactive creatures. Ah, oh, that person cut me off in traffic. Ah, oh, that person said something nasty about me. It's so empowering to understand you can choose how you react to that or even don't react or even don't become attached or involved. Everything just tends to fold, unfold so much more smoothly if you're just even and neutral. And again, the lotus flower. I'm in that world. I'm not of the world. I make my best efforts. Then I just relax and enjoy. And right now it's working out great. Yeah, it seems like <laughs> it's working out great. It is. Yeah. I'm wondering how you uh, reconcile the world as like, I know we kind of talked about your daughter a little bit, but I'm, I don't have kids. So it's like, I'm so interested about how you parent a young girl growing up in the world who, you know, you have to equip her with all the tools to be, you know, fiercely independent and strong and all these things. And like, are you teaching her to meditate? Do you remind, like, how, how are you navigating that? Well, I love this era where it's cool to be a strong, independent girl. Like just my little sister, who's the most amazing person, used to always get called Little Miss Bossy. And so, uh, first of all, I love this era of female empowerment that we're in. I want to raise a strong, fierce, cool girl. But my teacher was very clear that it's really hard to meditate before you're 18. You just kind of have... a, a long time to be a child to be a student i can sing mantra around her it makes her feel better she likes to do ohm for a few seconds here and there yeah. i can trick her into doing some some nice prana you know, i'm breathing maybe take a couple breaths or you know you put a little tissue on the table and you call it a ghost and you breathe it back and forth with your nose so you're tricking her into doing some couple potty breaths but children have very very short attention spans and and maybe worse than ever in this generation with exposure to computer technology and all that uh, my parent raising strategy is that and i find there's so many good books and speakers out there on it this era of like demanding respect from your kids is over it is over they're more brilliant than we are you got to earn their respect you got to earn their friendship so I just try to bring it every day. I try to be happy and fun and let's yeah. do projects and a bunch of different options so she gets to choose. You know, do you want to play with the stuffed animals, the dollies, or do art or walk the dogs? And so we're always doing something fun and trying to steer her away from that uh, seductive iPad, which you think there's going to be five minutes of math games and suddenly five hours later she's watching YouTube <laughs> on it so, yeah. at five and a half years old. But yeah, it's... 
Swamiji gave me a life. It was right there in 2010, basically. Do you want to be a yogi and do you want to be totally uninvolved? Or do you want to go back and get more into this relationship and continue to work for your dad and be media guy? And I just wasn't ready in this incarnation to be a totally detached yogi. And he kind of knew it. Mm -hmm. He even told me very directly, it's good for you to come here to Kulu for 6, 8, 10, 12 weeks. Then people will start to worry about you back in the West. So he really blessed my whole situation. And I get to do both. We have this joke in our family, the Sterling Compromise, which means you don't have to choose, you get both. So I'm leading this life of a yogi, and I'm also the businessman, dad, husband, householder. Just you bring space to every situation. You see every situation from a knower perspective, and you also realize that a husband will never be a good meditation teacher to their wife. <laughs> nice. well, that wisdom goes back thousands of years, <laughs> and that's not going to change. Don't try to be a meditation teacher to your wife. Just okay. be a husband. Smart. I'll take that. That's a, I'll, I'll add that into the relationship <laughs> advice segment. There you go. There you go. Just be loving. Like yeah. I mean, that's the ultimate cliche, but love is the opening door. Love is what we came here for. Before there was even words, there was love. So... Yeah, mm -hmm. love is everything. I think that's one of the major reasons we incarnate in human form. Yes, we want to become self-realized, enlightened yogis, but love feels good. Love mm -hmm. for community, love for animals, love for your children, love for one another, love for nature, love of life. Beautiful. I love it. Mm -hmm. I yeah. love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you sound like a pretty cool dad. I will just add that in the... They're, Thanks. Yeah, you Children are lively. They like yeah. activity. That's what I would say. So I yeah. try to offer a lot of different activities every day, and including big ones like travel occasionally too. I travel was such an informative part of my childhood. Like I went around the world four times by the time I was seven years old. And mm -hmm. uh, once you stretch your mind to a new dimension, it never goes back to its original form. And people who grow up in one town their whole life or one country they're missing out on this, this beautiful multi-ethnic tapestry of this little blue marble we're on floating through space so it's i love travel i think it's the best use of money and all that but again you the more you travel the more you realize i'm not going to come close to seeing it all and doesn't that make the world such a special cool place yeah well and i think just keeping the spark of curiosity alive is such an important part of not only being a spiritual seeker, but a, a, for anybody, just trying to live a more expanded life. If we're more curious about our neighbor and more curious about those that we don't understand, there's just more of a foundation to build a more compassionate marriage, family, community, world. Like, it kind of starts <laughs> with that. So I also am, like, a huge advocate for traveling as, like, someone that came from rural small town alberta country girl went out to see the world and seeing the world you know seeking relative freedom mm -hmm. helped me to get to the source of not relative freedom but the true freedom that i seek which is beyond that but it's such a good doorway that traveling and curiosity and exploring i think for anybody not only someone that's more spiritually inclined Oh, absolutely. And, you know, if you don't have the money to travel, if the world shuts down like it did with COVID, books, I mean, but you can take journeys through books, too. So podcasts. the human, ima and podcasts. <laughs> yeah. human imagination is a wonderful thing. So, yeah, yeah just, you know, I, I come back to this phrase again and again during this visit is if you get too serious about 
how should I be using my time or what's my purpose in life? Really, you can relax and enjoy. Like many times I was told, what's the best use of money is like tourism, sightseeing, having fun, buy the best food, eat like a king. The kings have the best, healthiest food and, and then help other people. What else is there? Yeah, beautiful. Well, this kind of segues this curiosity question into my last question that I have for you mm. is that you've obviously lived such a full life. You have so much wisdom. And instead of offering the listeners, you know, you've actually already given a lot of good nuggets and good analogies Ooh, for you. them to take with. But if there was a curious yogi sitting here in front of you, well, I am actually one myself. But what would you invite the listeners to contemplate for their own sadhana? Instead of an answer, what question can we dig deeper into to discover the answer for ourselves? Mm. What is the ideal vision you have for your life? And why aren't you living it? Mm. And if you want to have a little, very practical piece of advice, imagine the world was ending in five minutes and you could make one phone call. Who would you call and what would you tell them and what are you waiting for? Because you can make that phone call right now. You don't have to wait for the world to end. So express appreciation and don't be afraid to be your higher self. Be that lion that breaks out of the cage of your conditioning. What's the most fantastic life you can envision for yourself? And lead it. We're all just the stars of our own movies and the director and the script writer and the costume designer. It's all a movie, so make it a fantastic movie. Be a superstar. Yes, I did. that was such a good <laughs> pep talk. I just almost took a rocket. I'm gonna like head out into the day. That's beautiful. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jesse. Yeah, and just to wrap up, is there, you know, I know you're working on the show right now, the 20th season, but what else is, the highlight in your life right now or what are you working towards next well what's really cool is my family owns the last independently operated tv station in the world it's in newfoundland so when you were talking about growing up in rural canada i can identify i spent my formative years in newfoundland i have a vision for our tv station to actually be the next like cnn in a few years from now you've got the conservative news channels You've got the liberal news channels. What if there was a news channel that just reported the facts? Re-report, you decide. So I think there is a potential to take this little family business that was started by my grandfather, the first 24-hour TV station in the world. But what if we took that public and got to hire a bunch of people and keep true journalism alive? So that's something I'm working very hard on on the business front. My brother-in-law and sister own a fantastic magazine called Nobleman. So I'm getting to interview next week Carrie Elius, who is the lead in The Princess Bride, one of everyone's favorite movies. So I'm always seeking out those people with some name and fame to quote-unquote add legitimacy to meetings with remarkable people. I want to be a good husband and a good dad and a good son and a good brother, but really the most important thing at this juncture in my life is to continue to do the work. Just add meditation, just keep my meditation practice up because all that other stuff in the realm of things and forms tends to happen and unfold so beautifully as long as you're keeping your own space and connection 
to the divine alive. Beautiful. That's a good <laughs> high point to remember. Just add meditation. Don't change anything. Just add meditation and all takes care of itself. Beautiful. Such an inspiring talk. And yeah, I just want to end by appreciating you and oh. the generosity of your time and your words and your wisdom. And what a delight it is that we get to be here together in the Himalayas together and share in this work together. And I find that the best friendships and the best connections that I've had in my life are with those people like you that are just adding meditation because it's a, it's a different kind of conversation. It's a different kind of connection that happens out of that space. So thank you for sharing and being here with me. Well, you're doing great work right <laughs> now with Tribe of Lambs and with this podcast and just of your own involvement. Thanks. You make yourself a better person and you're making the world a better person. So I love the energy too. When two yogis get together, when two or more are gathered in his name, as they say, just a connection and appreciation of the divine, life can be so magical. It doesn't need to be the mundane. So yeah, I hope your listeners got something out of this conversation and maybe took a couple nuggets. And uh, I'll end with a very, very practical advice. If they remember one thing from this podcast, I would say, Drink a glass of water, take seven deep breaths, close your eyes, and love yourself as much as you can. <laughs> nice. Great. Ding. <laughs> Namaste. Namaste. <laughs> Thanks, Jess. That was fun. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed what you heard, please leave a review. It really helps the show reach more people. If you'd like to have your greatest spiritual questions answered on the show, send them to me through social or email. And don't forget to follow on your favorite streaming platforms. Let's stay curious, connected, and keep walking the path together. Music graciously offered by Heidi Herdia Groschler. In oneness and delight, this is Bobby signing off until next time.